This week we are going to be talking about, or I am going to be talking about, worship in solitude and silence. And we are in the middle, or in the beginning, in a way, in our series on the Psalms. And you know, I love the Psalms because um, I was thinking about why do I love the Psalms. I love singing and songs and music, and uh, perhaps for me, anyway, in this sort of mysterious and wonderful and confusing, bamboozling library of books, the Bible, the Psalms are a really good access point. Literally, because they are roughly in the middle, aren't they? Psalms. So they're easy to find, aren't they, if you, if you don't know your Bible very well. And uh, you don't have to do any of that shuffling and muttering about going, where is, where is the book of Amos? No, it's not in my Bible. No, so the Psalms are accessible, but also I think they're accessible because of different reasons. Um, they speak about real life stuff. And of course, we have to remember context. It's not like for like. But the themes, the essence, the emotions, the experiences, those we relate to, don't we? The highs and the lows. Do you? You've been reading a few psalms this week. And you know, times when I felt perhaps a bit lost, a bit dry, a bit meh, I dip into the psalms because they are a good access point. And I offer that idea to others, to you today. If you're not sure where or how to read the Bible, try a psalm a day. So today we're moving from one sacred space to another, from worship in communion, which Nigel shared with us last week, to worship in solitude and silence. And uh, we're following a wonderful tradition walking where many others have walked in this amazing story we find here about God, God's creation, and us, God's created ones. And the Psalms are quite noisy, aren't they? And I think we are quite a noisy community, I would say. But if you look, there are so many examples in the Psalms and across the scriptures of people taking space away from their community on their own and God turning up big time. Examples would be Moses, Elijah, Jacob, Jesus, Paul. And if you like, there's some people who had less deliberate choices to be alone, but God still turned up with them. And I'm thinking Hagar, Joseph, Miriam, the woman at the well. And uh, you can read these stories for yourself. But these people all took time or they found themselves alone and they went off to be with God. And so we follow So if you check out the Gospels, Jesus is the most excellent example of one who balanced his life and his ministry with time in community, time alone, and time alone away with his disciples, his sort of intimate, intimate friends. And he says it again and again, come away with me, come away with me. And he's saying that to us today. He's saying that to you, Ian Morrison. And it's no um, coincidence that you're here with us on Zoom today. I think the Lord's been speaking really directly to you in particular after the week you've had. So bless you, my friend. Come away with me, he sings again and again. And I love the line in that song that uh, John Raz often sings to us. Come away with me, come away with me. And uh, I've only just made the connection that you're actually singing the words of Jesus. (laughs) But also it's the way you sing it, John, because you're singing it from your own place of intimacy with Jesus. 
and that makes it all the more compelling and that comes through every time you sing it so thank you so worship in solitude and silence then it's not just spending time on your own and not speaking many of you live alone and you do you know you're always on your own not speaking therefore I don't have that much time alone. I'm an extrovert. I love and need people for my energy. I feel listless and drained if I have too much time alone. Lockdown really sucked for me. But I do love solitude and silence. Time for God and me, and I really crave it. But I live in a small house with usually two or three others, and it's quite noisy in my house, and I do love that. But if someone else is in, I'm not, I'm not alone and I don't feel alone. I can be quietly in a different room, but I'm not in solitude. Don't mind the children if they come and look into your eyes. or They're on, they're on their own mission this morning. Yeah, so I do relish having the house to myself. Um, but if that's not possible, I need to seek my solitude elsewhere. So my first point or... Uh, recommendation to you this morning is you need to find your solitude. You maybe need to go on a walk, go and sit in your garden, take a retreat a day, a morning away, or just schedule it in when the others in your house are out. And for those of you who live alone, you still do need to find it. And solitude is not the same as isolation. It's engagement, not escape. It's safe. Solitude is safe. It's not dangerous. And secondly, you need to, when you found your solitude, take intentional time. Like I said, it's not just about being on your own. And um, I don't think I need to talk to you too much about quiet time, do I? We had our whole series last year on that. Uh, It's solo worship, isn't it? The sort of thing we do together, but alone. Reading, singing, writing, listening to podcasts, dancing even. All of this is wonderful and it's really important and it's life-giving and absolutely part of worship in solitude. And if you don't know what I'm on about, then listen to our Be Still series, which is all uh, online on the website. So find your solitude. Be intentional. And thirdly, be silent with God. And that's what I want to talk about today, really. And I'm thinking of numinous moments, the times when all is connected, this sort of sense of connection that you get, surrounded and in and part of and encompassed by other. God, the divine, in all and through all. You know, an apostle Paul understood this communion. He says in Acts, in God we live and move and exist think about that what that means we live and move and exist so I want to be talking to us about a different type of prayer in Psalm 46 verse 10 does anybody know what it says yes well done be still and know that I am God be still and know that I am God not Be still, then list 10 things you'd like God to be doing by next Tuesday. Not, be still and then chat on about, oh, how great the view is, look at that tree. Not, be still, then throw a stick for the dog. Not, be still, then think of three ways you can encourage three friends this week. It's not being still. It's praying, it's communing, it's not being still. And a a writer, Marcus Borg, writer and theologian, puts it like this. 
this different type of prayer I'm talking about. But verbal prayer is only one form of prayer in the Jewish Christian tradition. Indeed, it is only the first stage of prayer. Beyond it are deeper levels of prayer characterized by internal silence and periods of time. In this state, one enters into deeper levels of consciousness. Ordinary consciousness is stilled and one sits quietly in the presence of God. Typically called contemplation or meditation, its deepest levels are described as a communion or union with God. One enters the realm of spirit and experiences God. And Jesus knew about this tradition. Jesus took time away to pray. It sounds great, doesn't it? Yeah? Yes, no, and yes. It's really hard to practice. It's really hard, this silent type of prayer. And so in the interests of transparency and accountability, I have this week conducted a trial using myself. And I wish I could say I have been transported through my silent practice into the spirit realm. Well, anyway, you'll see what happened. So, I've been using an app called the Centering Prayer app, and I increased during my week from five minutes of silence to ten minutes of silence a day. And I will read you, if you would like, my diary of silent practice. Monday, five minutes. So distracted, it seems so long, I checked and there were 20 seconds to go. My mind full of people I'd just been praying for. I started having a word to give to someone. I stopped, focused on my key words, peace and presence. Breathing in, peace and presence. Breathing out, all the thoughts, pushing them away. I became preoccupied that Paul might come in. I got distracted by the radio in another room. Hard. Tuesday, five minutes. I felt an anticipation for this today, easier and a little less distracted. Less time spent pushing back thoughts till the end when I got caught up in some deep me stuff that emerged. The time went quickly and I was left feeling peaceful and held. Wednesday, eight minutes. I waited till I was at the youth centre as I knew I would be early and on my own there. Just about to start and a window cleaner came and asked me for something. Sorted him out, sat back town, and then somebody arrived early. So later, no, 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 no condemnation on anybody who arrives early. <laughs> later, at first, I was totally aware of the zingy, amazing presence of God. And then my ego got involved. Thoughts racing and chasing. Maybe I'll become one of those shiny, peaceful, prayerful type people. Blah, blah, blah. Thoughts chased back with my breath. The deeper stuff lurking, but not given space to emerge. And in the end, I was just counting in and out breaths to calm my thoughts. Thursday, eight minutes. Epic fail. I overslept, woke feeling grotty, had to rush off to work, in the counselling room all day. So on the walk home, I did try intentional silence. It took about 30 minutes walking for thoughts to calm down. Friday, eight minutes. Easier to get still today. My mind battle continues. Moments of sweet presence and the, uh, the sound on the app at the end made me jump. But it's hard and yet I'm loving it and I find I'm look forward, looking forward to it. And Friday being my Sabbath day, a bit later on, I took ten minutes. I wanted more. And my head was full of this talk but a deeper sense of presence. 
here you are, here I am, wanting to get deeper, trying to push through and realizing I can't push this. I just have to be and to clear my mind. Oh, it's hard though, literally holding my head at one point. My mind, my mind. Time went quickly though and afterwards I did feel deep peace. Saturday, and this is the last one yesterday, 10 minutes, alone in the house, but it did take ages to get to this today. There is silence and I hear cars on the road outside. This is entirely my fault they're hopping around the room at this point. (laughs) Breathing, good timing, isn't it? Yeah. Twice they're going around. I hear cars on the road outside, breathing in peace and presence, distracted thoughts as usual. One thought triggers grief about Freddie, and the tears come, and I let them. And then other loss emerges, impending loss, and more tears come, and I acknowledge this. I drop my big brave girl defence, sobbing now. This is unexpected. Other stuff emerges, fear, shame, self-hating, breathing it out, breathing it out. And God is here, presence is here, enfolding me, holding me, knowing me, and I rest in this. And again, the ending gong makes me jump. This was my deepest day. So that's me. It's flipping hard work. But is that there's a practice, and the more you practice, even here this morning in the prayer this morning, I felt calmer. And I think it's just from having this silent practice this week. And I'm, I'm continuing. I'm not going to read out my diary every week, don't worry, but I am continuing with it. So it's a different type of prayer practice and a different way God longs to be present with us. So I wanted to just use the story of Elijah found in 1 Kings 19 and explore some reasons why it's difficult that I think will be helpful for us. And this was part of our meditation this week, the story in Elijah. This is 1 Kings 19. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, May the gods strike me and even kill me, if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. So Elijah was afraid, and he fled for his life. And he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and there he left his servant. And then he went on alone into the wilderness, travelling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. And then he lay down and slept under the tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And then the angel came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. If I was Elijah at this point, I'd be saying, What journey? What are you on about? So he got up, ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. And the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars. They've killed every one of your prophets. And I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. Actually, he wasn't the only one left, but he's, he's got into exaggerating it and moaning. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. 
and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And on it goes. You know, I've always loved this part, this story of Elijah. I don't know if anyone else has. I've always loved this. And uh, Elijah's just had, well, you know, just, he's just had this amazing, powerful time in his ministry. If you read back, he said this is the most amazing time. But then he gets a death threat. He gets scared, he gets tired, and he runs off. He's just had it, had enough, and he wants to die rather than return. And then these angels care for him, and he heads off again, prompted by God this time. So he's seeking more of God, and he's walking away from what he's known into the desert. And he walks 40 days and nights. Brackets notice the parallels with others who spent 40 days and nights in the desert. These things repeat. And he settled in a cave in Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, which is a sacred place. It's where Moses encountered God and others. And a, a great spiritual writer, Ruth Haley Barton, puts it like this. We, like Elijah, must walk across the emptiness of the desert, out there to arrive at the mouth of the cave that is the emptiness in here. But this is a brave thing to do, and most of us spend our lives trying to avoid the experience of being empty and alone. True solitude allows none of the usual escapes. And God asks Elijah, as you've heard me read, what are you doing here? Maybe not in that tone of voice. What are you doing here? And God doesn't answer, does he? Instead, he takes Elijah on what I am saying uh, is a three-stage process before giving him revelation and guidance. So we can achieve outer solitude, um, eliminating distractions, but our internal distractions then become very loud. And I think that's why God doesn't answer Elijah immediately. Yes, he's in a place in solitude. Yes, he's been on his own for days and days. But I think there's something still going on in him that God wants to work on and in us. Elijah needed to learn how to wait and how to listen. And he needed to go through this process. He had to face the ferocity of his own inner chaos before he could hear God. So this is my take on what's going on. Um, firstly, I think it's very easy to read this, this, these stories, this stuff, and, uh, and not think of particularly about timescales, because we read it quite quickly. We assume it happens quite quickly. Um, and we don't really know, do we, how long Elijah sat in that cave? We might assume that the earth, the wind... I keep saying earth, wind, and fire. The wind, earth, and fire all happened in one long night. But did they? Oh, I don't really know. Um, how long did Elijah sit in these frightening conditions? But certainly, I think if we're reviewing these in, as a metaphor for the ferocity of his inner chaos, as my diary also, I think, reveals, that this is a process that takes time, and it's probably spiral in nature. 
we were talking about this in our Kintsugi group this week around forgiveness, that things about the difference between spirals and circles. If a process is circular in nature, it just goes round and round and round like a hamster on a wheel. If it's spiraling, it might repeat itself, but it's moving up. So the, the refining that you go through, might, you might go through it again and again, but you're still moving up and towards God. So I like that idea. So, the windstorm. I would say that the windstorm is distraction. The distracting thoughts that make it really hard to focus, to be present to ourselves and to God. John Mark Homer, in his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he says, the noise of the modern world makes us deaf to the voice of God, drowning out the input we most need. And distracting voices go a bit like this. Mine do. Did I send that email? What should we have for dinner later? I really like the food we ate last night. This is, this is when you're trying to pray. At so-and-so's. So-and-so are great people. We should have them round soon. Did I feed the cat? I need to send that note back to school. That floor needs washing. We need to call the builder. Why do I always have to make those calls? On and on and on, distracting thoughts go. And so it takes time. It's like taking a jar of water from the river and it's got mud and water in it and you shake it all up and, uh, and you put it down and eventually it clears and the sediment goes to the bottom. But it takes time. So the windstorm is distraction. The earthquake, I think, is anxiety. And these are other sorts of thoughts and feelings and sometimes bodily experiences and they shake us and they upset us and they dominate us. And sometimes we're very in touch with them and other times we aren't. But again, giving silent time lets them emerge. And anxious stuff is more like this. I don't want to go there. People don't like me. I don't fit in. I feel sad. I'm lonely. I'm scared, God. And we all have anxieties. And my caveat here as well is that I'm not in any way minimizing mental health issues. Some of us have ongoing mental health issues that need specialist help and medication and support. Um, and that's, that's different. But it can be really hard just to sit silently with ourselves, true who we are, exposed, naked, if you like, before God, admitting all our anxieties. It's a hard space to be in. And thirdly then, ego. Uh, and there's not necessarily an order to all of this. It's probably a mashup of all of it. But ego is the I, the me, and it can be subtle and it can be very loud. Uh, and it goes a bit like this. What if I get it wrong? What will people think? I hope I do well. I look good in those trousers. Maybe I will get noticed to get a promotion. People will talk about my talk for weeks afterwards. <laughs> And then performance anxiety goes in there, and it's all me, 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 me stuff. And none of this is, is the true me, it's not the true us. And life with God and our walk with God is all about moving in and on towards the best versions of the selves that we can be, this side of Jesus returning. And God is all about changing and transforming us. And eventually, Elijah heard a gentle whisper. And he wrapped his face in his cloak, which is a sign of reverence. And he stood at the entrance to the cave, and he just let the presence of God wash over him. And I believe we need to face our inner noise. We do need to go through it in order to hear the voice of God, in order to be alone in the presence of God, worshipping in solitude 
and silence. And someone else said in one of the things I was reading, the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism, it's distraction. So I think regular silent practice is essential to our spiritual life. And uh, I'll just use John Mark Comer to back up my point here. He says, in seasons of busyness, we need more time in the quiet, not less. And if you're running through your list of excuses right now, I'm a parent, I have a job that starts early and finishes late, I'm an extrovert, I have ADHD... Think about this. Jesus needed time in the quiet place. I repeat, Jesus needed time and a fair bit of it. And you think you don't? (laughs) Challenging. And this silent practice, you know what? It's not just meditation. It's not mindfulness for our health. It's not a sort of new age thing. It's a passionate desire to be in God's presence with God. It's a passionate desire to not be distracted, to really commune with God, to be present to my soul, to be present to my God. That's my passionate desire. And God wants to commune with us at the deepest levels. And it's wonderful. Will we try? Come away with me. Come away with me. Maybe start with a few minutes each day and increase as you feel able. But try. So just to summarize then, find your solitude, take intentional time, practice silence, a different type of prayer, remembering it is a process of wind, earth and fire, but you will find, you will hear that still small voice. So I just wanted to finish now with, I think we'll, should we do a minute silence, two minutes, what would you be up for? Two minutes, okay. Two minutes. I'm going to... Um, I forgot to ring my nice bell I had at home. I've got this. <laughs> I'm going to ring to start, and then I'm going to ring to finish, and I'm going to um, just read a prayer at the end. And it can be really helpful just to have a sacred word that you, you focus on when your mind gets distracted, because it will... So peace, presence, Jesus, some word that comes to you. So. To start.
This presence is so immense, yet so humble, awe-inspiring, yet so gentle, limitless, yet so intimate, tender, and personal. I know that I am known. Everything in my life is transparent in this presence. It knows everything all about me, all my weaknesses, brokenness, sinfulness, and still loves me infinitely. This presence is healing, strengthening, refreshing, just by its presence. It is non-judgmental, self-giving, seeking no reward, boundless in compassion. It is like coming home to a place I never should have left, to an awareness that was somehow always there, but which I did not recognize. Amen. Thank you.